So grab your Bibles with me and let's worship the Lord through the study of his word this morning. If you're online, we're glad that you're with us as well. And we would, uh, we're happy to help you in any way that you need. If you want to put anything in the comments, we'd be happy to try to serve you in that way as well. So today we're in our, in our Bibles. We're going to be turning to Luke chapter 2. We're actually going to be starting in the same text that we looked at last week with the shepherds and the angels. Um, but then we're also going to look at Luke chapter 1. So start in chapter 2. We'll go back to chapter 1. And then you're also going to need a, a bookmark over in Philippians 2. So if you've got an extra note or something, stick that over in Philippians 2. That's where we're going to end up our time today uh, as we walk through God's Word together. Looking at Hark the Herald Angels Sing this morning, and specifically um, what it means for us to worship and herald Christ um, as the one who has come for us in the love of the Father. So as you're flipping open there to Luke chapter 2, um, just, a, just a little service announcement this morning, PSA for you. Um, we are only five days away from Christmas, okay? So um, all you procrastinators and shoppers, um, five days. That's what you got, all right? So uh, get to the store, man. Get your wife's present if you haven't done that yet. Get it under the tree. Um, let's, let's, let's be good husbands this year. Um, and so, but five days is all we got. So that means that we are we are in like full Christmas swing mode at our house, right? Like we're wrapping presents, we're driving around seeing lights, we're giving and sending Christmas cards, we're threatening children with coal in their stockings. Like we're just doing all of it, um, full Christmas this morning. And that means we're also about 19 days into the exact same Hallmark movie with a different title and a different cover, one a day for like the, anybody track with me here? Like... Have you noticed this? It's the exact same movie. I saw this on Facebook this week. They're all the same. All right, and I know some of you love them, and that's great, and, and just letting you know if you haven't caught on yet that they're just repackaging the same movie for you with a new title each time. But here's the reason why, right? Because there's some reason that Hallmark keeps making the same movie, and people keep watching the same movie over and over again. And that's because inside of us as humans, we are hardwired with this need, with this drive to love and be loved. And so what they're doing is they're just going back time and time again. They're just tapping that same desire over and over and over, right? But here's the reality, friends. The love that we need, the love that we really want, the one that we really desire deep down in our hearts is not found with your old flame when you go home for Christmas. Okay, that's, that's the wrong kind. The love that we need, the true, fulfilling, lasting, filling type of love only comes from one place, and his name is Jesus Christ. That's why we celebrate Christmas, and that's what I want to show you this morning from these texts, is that the love of God came in the gift of Christ to give me life. The love of God came in the gift of Christ to give me life. So like I said, we want to start in Luke chapter 2 today, picking up again with the shepherds. I'm going to start in verse 8, just kind of give us some context this morning. It says, In the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Now, check out the angel's words here. It says, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. 
Now drop down to verse 14 and look at their second part of their message. It says, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So the first thing you need to know about this morning about God's love for us is this. Christ came in love to reconcile me. Christ came in love to reconcile me. So the angels here, when they're announcing this, this, um, this uh, great news of, or this good news of great joy, um, they anchor that in this statement in verse 11. They say, because today, born in the city of David is Christ the Lord. Now, we learned a couple weeks ago, or maybe it was last week, that, that Christ isn't actually his name, right? Christ is his title. It means Messiah. It means anointed one, the one who was being sent by God to save, to redeem his people. And the emphasis here that the angels are, are making is that this Messiah is connected to the city of David. In other words, he is from the line of David. He is one of David's ancestors, okay? And and this was a big deal because the Old Testament had actually promised there was a prophecy given to David that one day from his line, from his ancestors, would come this Messiah who would set up an everlasting kingdom. Right? And so this here, as the angels pronounce this, they are bringing the fulfillment of this prophecy from 2 Samuel chapter 7. This is God talking to David here. Chapter 7, verse 12, he says this, When your days are fulfilled... And you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So the angels here are announcing to the shepherds, the one you've been waiting for, the one from David, he's here. He has come. Right now, in the city of David, you can see him. He is Jesus the Christ. And then the shepherds run off to go see them, right? Like, we know about that. Before they go, the angels say this, the whole multitude of angels shows up, the whole angel choir, right? And they say this, glory to God and on earth peace. So after they've announced the Messiah from the line of David, they're now praising God. They're worshiping him because Christ, in Christ, he has sent peace to the world. Now, this goes right in line with what the Jews were expecting, kind of. See, the Jews fully expected, their expectation was that the Christ, the Messiah, would come and that he would usher in peace. But they were thinking military peace. He was going to come and conquer the Romans or conquer whoever was ruling over them at the time and kick them out and bring victory and bring conquest and bring peace to them as a nation, as a government. And Christ is bringing peace, but it's a different kind of peace. That's not the, the, the angels aren't talking about a military conquest kind of peace here. They're talking about a spiritual peace. A peace that would come through the saving work that Christ would perform for God's people one day on the cross. They're almost prophesying here that this peace is coming through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus brought peace because he came to reconcile us with God. That's how the peace happens. It comes through spiritual reconciliation. 
Paul, when he was writing to the Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19, he says it this way. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So Christ definitely brought peace, but he brought peace to the spiritual war, to the spiritual rebellion that was happening between man and God. That's the peace that he's ushering in here. He would make peace by, Paul says here, removing or not counting their trespasses against them. Trespasses means sin there. He was coming to remove the sin from man so that they could be restored, so they could be reconciled in their relationship with God. Because as long as there's sin in our hearts or sin in our lives, that separates us from God. We can't have a, a relationship with him the way that we were designed to until this happens, until Christ brings peace by freeing us from sin. Which then I think begs the question, why would Christ do that? Right? I mean, if you really think about it logically for a second, why would God send his only son when we were the ones in the wrong? Like, he didn't owe anything. He didn't owe us a thing. Why would Christ come to fix a problem that was on us? Why would he offer peace to a people who were still currently in sinful rebellion against him. The answer comes in 1 John chapter 4. In verse 9, John writes this. He says, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The anchor for why Jesus came to reconcile us was love. The love of God was made manifest among us, he says, that literally God's love came in the form of a human person in Jesus Christ. He was the the embodiment of God's love. So that, it says, we might live through him. So that we wouldn't have to die in our sin. We wouldn't have to be cast off away from God the Father. Instead, we could be reconciled to God and live a new life with him. But that only happens because Christ, it says here, made propitiation for our sins. Now, propitiation is a big, fancy Bible word, right? Propitiation literally just means payment. In the simplest form, it means payment. Jesus came to make payment for our sins. See, when we sin, when we rebel against God, we then have a debt that gets racked up of wrath and punishment that we deserve to receive. And that wrath, that punishment has to be settled. It has to be paid for one way or the other. And so Jesus came to make that payment. Christ brought us peace by paying our sin debt to God so that we could be reconciled to him. That's our Messiah. 
That is why we give glory to a baby born in a manger. Because he came to reconcile us. You know, there's, um, many of you probably heard of the, uh, the famous author, Ernest Hemingway. Well, he has a short story that's, that's pretty well known. It's called The Capital of the World. And in this short story, it's set in Spain, uh, and there's a father, and he has a teenage son named Paco. Okay, and Paco was a, a very common name in Spain during this time. And so Paco, he, he wants to be a matador. He has this dream that he is going to be this this primo matador in Spain. And, but his father's not buying it. And so in order for him to do this, he has to escape his father's control. And so he runs away from home and goes to the big capital city of Spain. He goes to Madrid to be a matador. And when the father finds out that he's gone, he's heartbroken. He loves his son. He wants the best for his son. He wants to protect his son. And he's worried about his son. And so he follows his son all the way to Madrid. And he searches all over the city looking for Paco, trying to find him, trying to bring him back home, trying to mend the relationship. And he can't find him. So finally, in desperation, he goes to the newspaper office, the local newspaper, and he runs just a simple ad that says this. It says, Dear Paco, meet me in front of the Madrid newspaper office tomorrow at noon. All is forgiven. I love you. So the next day, the father comes back and he, he comes to the newspaper office at noon. And as he approaches, he looks up and he sees that there are 800 Pacos outside of the newspaper office. All seeking forgiveness. All seeking reconciliation with someone. You see, the truth is, We're all Pacos. We're all needing to be reconciled. We're all needing to be forgiven by God the Father. We need to be made right with him. And in our rebellion and in our sin, we don't know how to do that. We don't know how to find him. We're running the wrong direction. And so God the Father comes and he pursues us in our sin through Jesus Christ birth of his son, he was coming to earth to find us and to say, I love you. All is forgiven. Come back. Be reconciled to me. This is why Jesus came. The author of our carol this morning, in the first verse, he writes it like this, Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth, and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Joyful all ye nations rise, join the triumph of the skies, with angelic hosts proclaim that Christ is born in Bethlehem. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Jesus was born to lovingly reconcile me to God. The love of God manifests in the Son to reconcile me and you back to the Father. There's a second part of love that we see illustrated here in the Christmas story as well. So flip back a chapter in Luke. Go back to chapter 1. 
We're going to back up in the story now. So that was as, you know, after Jesus' birth. Now we're going to go before Jesus' birth. And here we have the instance where the angel is coming to announce to Mary what's going to happen, right? The coming of Christ through her. So in verse 30, chapter 1 of Luke, verse 30 says this. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Second thing about love is this. Christ came in love to represent me. Point number two, Christ came in love to represent me. Now, the doctrine that we see illustrated here and what the angel is saying to Mary is called the Incarnation. All right, again, kind of a big, fancy theological word. But it just simply means this. The incarnation is the doctrine of God the Son becoming human. The second member of the Trinity, God the Son, coming down in human form on the earth. That's what we mean when we say the incarnation. Okay? Now, the angel describes it here in a couple different ways. First of all, he tells Mary that you're going to conceive, you're in your womb, and you're going to bear a son. You're going to give birth, human birth, just like you. So this is all emphasizing here. The angel is telling her, listen, Jesus is going to be fully human. He's going to have a normal, fully human birth, just like every other person on the planet. That when the Christ comes, he is 100% man. Are you tracking? But then he also, and, and Paul confirms this for us in Galatians chapter 4. Verse 4, he says this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law. Born as 100% man. But the angel also says this there in chapter 1. He says, not only will he come as a man, but he will also be the Son of the Most High. His kingdom will have no end. He will be holy, and he will be the Son of God. So that language tips us off that, yes, he's 100% man, but he is also 100% God. That just because he came in human form, Jesus, uh, the second member of the Trinity, God the Son, did not lose any measure, any part of his deity. He was still 100% God, but also 100% man. He goes on to say this. He says, the Holy, I'm sorry, um, Titus chapter 2, just a cross-reference for you. Um, Paul in Titus chapter 2 also says this. He says, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So there again, he calls him God. He was 100% God and 100% man. And this happens because, the angel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and will overshadow you and therefore... The one who is born, he says, will be holy. So he ties it all together right here, right? That Jesus was fully man, but, here's the catch, without a sin nature. Okay? His conception was a miracle. 
It was a miracle of the highest order. He was not conceived by Mary and Joseph. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and then placed in the womb of Mary so that she could give him human birth. And because he did not come from Joseph and Mary, he did not carry in his body the same sin nature that we all have got passed on to us through human lineage from Adam. And so Christ here, he comes and he can be holy and he can be perfect. He can be righteous even as a human because he was still God. The thing that we could never do. To be what we could never be on our own. Jesus came in our place to be that for us. To represent us before God as the holy, perfect, righteous human that we all fail to be. In John's gospel, he doesn't actually give like the, like the, the early birth story, but he does talk about Jesus coming to earth. In chapter 1, verse 1 of John, he says this, In the beginning was the Word. Word is the title he uses for Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Then go down to verse 14, and he talks about his birth. He says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So John hits on several little things just in these couple verses. First of all, he says, The Word was God. So Jesus was the second member of the Trinity, God the Son, and it says here, in the beginning was the Word. So he always existed. All right? So Jesus, not in human form, but in divine form, has always existed from eternity past. But then he says the Word became flesh. He was born of Mary. He became man, but he also says that we have seen his glory from the Father. So even in his human state, there were certain instances where the glory of Christ still shone through. God's glory still came through his human body, his human hands at times. Again, evidence that he was the God-man, God in human flesh. Now, I know this whole thing with the incarnation and 100% God, 100% man, it's a little weird, it's a little confusing. So let me see if I can just give you maybe an illustration this morning that might help you to think about this a little more clearly, okay? So, I want you to pretend this morning that my shirt is the divine nature of Christ, right? The shirt is Christ, or second member of the Trinity, God in, in, in deity form. Now, in order to put on my coat, do I take off my shirt? No, no nobody wants to see that, right? So, The shirt stays on, but then when you put the coat on, what does it do? It covers the shirt, right? Almost to a point where if I put it all the way on, you can almost barely see any of it, right? When Christ came to earth, he put on a human form over his divine nature to the fact that most of the time what you saw was the human form, the coat. Only in small glimpses did you see the glory of God, the divine nature, shine through the human form and say, oh yeah, he's God too. Like when he would do a miracle. 
Like when he would walk on water, when he was on the mountain of transfiguration and the glory of God came down and filled the place. Like there were moments you see the glory of God shine through the human form of Christ, but the majority of the time you just saw the coat. Are you with me? He didn't lose any of his deity. He just put on humanity in order to come and to represent us. And this was all prophesied ahead of time. It was told exactly how it was going to happen and what was going to happen back in Isaiah chapter 7. This is hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus came. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 says this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So the prophecy here is saying that the virgin shall conceive. Now, I think we all understand that just doesn't happen on a regular basis. Are we all on that page? We're like, that's not normal. And that's why it's a sign. That's why it's a miracle that it's going to happen. This only happens once. And so they said, this is how you're going to know that he's the Messiah, because he's going to come in this way, and he will be called Emmanuel, which literally means God with us. The title Isaiah gives is telling us he's coming to be human among us. God is coming to dwell with us on the earth in human form. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17, the author talks about this idea and he says this, verse 17, Therefore he had to be made like us, that's Jesus, made like his brothers in every respect, so that we might become a, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people there it is again so the author's explained to us exactly how this worked and why it had to be this way he had to come and be made like his brothers like us in human form so that he could represent us and so he could be a faithful high priest, so he could live a life of holiness without sin and then go to the Father on our behalf to sacrifice himself to pay for our sins, propitiation, right? payment for us. It only works if he is both human and perfectly holy. That's why Jesus is the only one who could ever achieve this for us because of the incarnation. In order to take our place, Jesus had to enter into our space. He had to come in human form on the earth. And that's why he was born. When I was a little boy, um, I was friends with a neighbor, and um, we loved to climb trees. And in, in between our house, we had this huge line of just beautiful, tall pine trees. I mean, these things were so huge. They had to be 100 feet tall. At least that's what five-year-old Micah thought, okay? Um, and so they were just these huge pine trees that we liked to climb. So we were out one day, and we were climbing up in this one pine tree, and, and um, my friend, man, he just, he just kept climbing higher and higher higher and, and, and can't be outdone by your friend, right? Like, so like, I'm just climbing higher with him and we're just going for it. And, and the problem was 
he was a little bit better climber than I was and a little bit braver climber than I was. And so we just keep going all the way up the tree and we get to the very, very top of this giant pine tree and I get stuck. Not, not like sap stuck, like, like stuck on the branch, can't reach any other branches, can't get down, can't go anywhere, stuck in the top of this tree. And so we start arguing and, and bantering back and forth and whatever. And so finally he gets down and he goes and he gets his, his dad to come and to get me out of the tree. And so this very kind and gracious father, he climbs up in the tree all the way to the top, gets up there to where I'm at, and he helps me out of the tree. He rescues me from being stranded in the pine tree. And he brings me back down. Now, in order for that to work, in order for him to be able to rescue me, he had to come to my level. He had to get to where I was in order to be able to get me out and to, to rescue me from that situation. Christ the same way. In order to rescue us, in order to redeem us, he had to come, not up, but down to our level. He had to descend and to come into human form so that he could rescue us, redeem us, represent us. See, the difference, though, is my friend's father, he got to come down from the tree pretty much unscathed. Jesus didn't. He came to earth specifically knowing that he was going to give his life in order to represent us before God the Father. To be that perfect substitute that we needed for salvation, he had to come in human form to be born to represent you and I. Again, the author of our carol says it like this in verse two. He says, Christ, by highest heaven adored, Christ, the everlasting Lord, late in time, behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail, the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with man to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel. God with us. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Jesus was born to substitutionally represent me before God. Jesus was born to substitutionally represent me before God. So in love, Christ came to reconcile us. He came to represent us but then there's one more thing I want you to see that kind of pulls all of this together. This is going to be over in Philippians chapter 2. So if you've got that bookmarked over there, flip over to Philippians 2. This is one of the greatest um, sections in all of the New Testament that talks about the person of Christ. Is in Philippians chapter 2. I love this section. And it speaks here specifically to his coming to earth. Let's start in verse 4 again just to get some context. It says, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, 
so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Third point this morning is simply this. Christ came in love to rescue me. Christ came in love to rescue me. So here in this passage, it says that Jesus, or God, remember, emptied himself. Now, this is kind of a hard and and controversial uh, passage here in the Greek to translate. So there's lots of kind of debate over how this should be phrased. And in fact, if you looked at several different translations of of English Bibles, you'll probably see a lot of different phrases here. Um, the, The ESV here uses emptied himself, all right? But even the ESV, that's the 2016 version. If you went back to the 2002 version of the ESV, it actually said that he made himself nothing. All right? And so there's different ways they translate this, but emptied himself is probably the best translation to stay true to the Greek. The problem is some people don't like that translation because they're afraid that that is going to imply or make people think that he somehow emptied himself of his deity. That he somehow gave up or put aside his divine nature. But if we look in the context of what Paul's writing here, Paul's not talking about that at all. He's not talking about Christ emptying his divine nature. He's talking about him changing his form. Right? Look, he says that he was, came in the form of a servant, that he came in human form. The emphasis here is on the form that he's taking. And so he emptied himself of his divine form, not his divinity, but his divine form to take on human form, God in the flesh. You guys remember that TV show, like in the last 10 years or something, um, Undercover Boss? You guys, you guys ever see that? You ever see that one? So if you, if you haven't seen it, it's like this, it's like this show where they, they find like CEOs or like owners of these giant companies, and then they take them and they put them in a disguise and they send them out on the front line to be like frontline workers and work on like the very bottom of the company, just kind of see what their company's like, you know, as a CEO. And so they're like, here's a picture of one of the guys that they took and made him into a construction worker in his company, right? So like just completely changed their appearance, the whole thing. And they go out and for a couple weeks, they actually work, like legit work as an employee of the company on the front lines. Now, when they're out there working on the front lines, they look like every other employee. They're doing the work of every other employee. They look just like everybody else. But just because they've taken the form of an employee doesn't mean that they have lost their CEO status. Are you with me? All right, they could still fire anybody on that job site, right? They could still call any shot they wanted to call because they still retain the title. They still retain the power, the status, despite the fact that they've changed the form in which they're working. That's what Paul's talking about right here. That he came and humbled himself in human form. And again, the question is why? Why would the God of the universe make himself part of the creation that he created and humble himself to the place of being a servant in human form? It's the same answer for the whole sermon. It's because of his love. It's because he loves us. This whole section of Philippians is the definition of love that we use here at Harvest. Love is simply this, you be for me. Love is not a feeling. Love is not an emotion. Love is a choice. It's an action where you choose to put somebody else before yourself. 
That's what Jesus did when he came. He chose to put us ahead of himself and he emptied himself of his divine form and came in humble humanity to the point where it says that he was obedient to death, death on a cross. In love, Jesus took human form for the express purpose to die. He came as a sacrifice for sin. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, it says this, he, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Jesus came to bear our sins. You see, every one of us are plagued by sin. We have sinful hearts. We have sinful minds. We make sinful choices. And all of this sin, all this rebellion against God, all this wanting to go our own way and do our own thing, it puts us at odds with the God of the universe. And because we have rebelled against his holiness and his righteousness and his perfection, we deserve his wrath. We deserve punishment. We deserve death. And there's nothing we can do to fix that. We can't do enough good works. We can't give enough money. We can't go out and prove ourselves to God somehow and get back in his good graces. The damage has already been done. The only way, God knew that the only way that we could be saved from sin and saved from hell was that a perfect sacrifice would come and give his life to pay for our sins. And so Jesus came, God's son came and was born in human form. And he lived a perfect and sinless life. And then he willingly went to the cross to be a substitute, to represent us and to die for our sins. And he went to the grave and then three days later he rose back to life to prove that he was God and to offer us salvation and forgiveness if we will trust in him. Peter says, he bore our sins that we might live. That we might have life eternal. That we might be healed from sin and death and that we might get to be with God forever. That's why he came. In Philippians, Paul goes on, he says, Therefore God highly exalted him. That includes both exalting him in his resurrection, but also exalting him in his ascension and his returning back to divine form with God in heaven. Malachi chapter 4, verse 2, Old Testament prophet. Again, this was all prophesied. This was all told hundreds of years ahead of time. He says this, But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings, and you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. 
Jesus came to bring healing to us from sin so that we could have life. He came both to make a way for us and to lead the way for us to be reconciled and to return back to God the Father. And then Philippians, the section ends like this. It says, Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Everyone. One day, everyone will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The question is, when? When will you bow your heart before Jesus and proclaim that he is Lord? you got two choices. You can do it now, today, in this life. And if you do that, he will come and he will save you from your sin and he will give you eternal life and he will change everything about you. Or you wait, Point number, option number two is wait till he returns in judgment to judge sin and to give out the punishment that it deserves. But if you wait till then, it's too late. You will confess that he is Lord, but only as you are sent away from him to eternal punishment in hell. He is Lord. And you will confess it one way or the other, either now by choice or later by force. And so the question before you today is which one's it going to be? Which option are you going to choose? Today? Or after it's too late? Again, the author of our carol ends it like this. He says, Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life. Life to all he brings. Risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. He came to give you the option. He came to give you the the opportunity at new birth, at new life. But you have to believe. You have to confess him as Lord. You have to turn away from your sin and trust in Jesus. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. Jesus was born to sacrificially rescue me from sin and death. This is why he came. In love, he came to reconcile us, to represent us, and to rescue us. The love of God came in the gift of Christ to give me life. You know, love, love is a major theme at Christmas, right? And it should be. Again, we all want to be loved. We all want to give and and receive and experience love 
at Christmas. But I'm telling you, friends, I'm telling you, the love that matters most is the love that we need the most, which is the love that only comes from God through the gift of Jesus Christ, his son. And so if you have not yet trusted in Christ, if you have not yet received that love from the Father and forgiveness for your sins, I I urge you, do that today. Will you receive the free gift of salvation that God has given us in his son, Jesus Christ? Right here, right now. You don't need to wait any longer. I'm telling you, this can be the greatest Christmas of your entire life if you will trust in Jesus today. So I'm going to pray. And then we're going to sing a song of worship unto the Lord. But if you're sitting here today and you have not yet done that, if you've not yet confessed your sin and turned and trusted in Jesus for salvation, I want to invite you as I pray, you just pray and do that right here, right now. Just in your own words, just talk to the God and just say, listen, God, I believe. Please forgive me of my sin. Make me a Christian. Make me a follower of Jesus. And he'll do it right here, right now. Let's stand. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just come to you this morning. Lord, just bowing before you, asking you, God, to do another miracle here today. Lord, as we thank God, as we celebrate, as we look back on this wonderful, miraculous birth of our Savior, of the great gift that you have given us in Jesus Christ, God, we come with humble hearts today just asking again for another miracle. Lord, give someone here today new life in you. Lord, raise them from the dead. Call them out of sin. Lord, Holy Spirit, revive their hearts right here, right now. For those that are watching online at home, God, do it there too. There's nothing special about this room, God. You are with us wherever we are. Lord, may your spirit turn hearts and minds back to you today. Lord, reconcile us, redeem us, rescue us. Lord, we praise you today. We thank you, God, for sending your son. Thank you, God. We receive the humble gesture of Christ, our Savior, to come and be with us, love us, save us. And God, all we have to offer you in response is our humble gift of faith and worship this morning. God, please receive this gift from us. May you be glorified, the newborn King. We pray in his name.